Amen. When I was in high school, I believe the summer going into my freshman year, I went on a mission trip to Virginia through the UP Project. Uh, the UP Project was led by Grayson Pack, Andy Cisneros, and Julie Driscoll. They took a handful of high school and college-age students on a mission trip each summer. They went to a different location each year. I was able to go on this trip. I was trying to count up if I remember them all. I, I believe five times I was able to go on this trip. Some of our youth uh, have uh, been able to go on one of these trips in the past as well. Uh, a while ago, Amy Cunningham, for those of you who remember Amy, uh, Jesse, Savannah, uh, Maggie met Nehemiah at the UP Project, eventually got married. Um, um, so a handful of our youth been able to enjoy that as well. Uh, well, the trip to Virginia was my first time on the UP Project. We have a few churches in the Virginia area, and so we did some work with Jeff Fletcher's church as well as a number of local nonprofit organizations as well. And so that year, the UP Project happened to be uh, during Independence Day. And so we spent a couple of days in the middle of our project in Washington, D.C. We toured a couple of different nonprofit organizations in D.C. and to see how they serve their community and giving us, I us ideas and encouragement and motivation to serve our local communities as well. And then on Independence Day, 4th of July, we spent pretty much the entire day just touring Washington, D.C. Who's all been to D.C. before? Raise your hands. A handful of us. Raise your hand if you've been to D.C. on the 4th of July before. Just a couple of us. Yeah. Uh, that was a pretty grand scene. Uh, there were tons, and when I, when I say tons, I mean tons of people. There was uh, all sorts of patriotism uh, present there. The firework display uh, was insane. Did you guys see, uh, I believe Mary and Mike saw your two hands. Did you guys see a firework display on the 4th of July in D.C.? Yeah. <laughs> It was an impressive display, yeah. By the end of the fireworks, pretty much all you can see is the smoke filled in the sky from all of the fireworks. I mean, it was bam, 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 bam for quite a long time, and it, it was a pretty cool uh, sight to behold. Um, it was pretty cool to be in the capital of arguably the most powerful nation in the world on the day in which they celebrate independence. And... Now, the United States, though, has not always been the most powerful nation of the world. It's been the most powerful nation in the world for less than 100 years, which is really, when we're looking at the grand scheme of things, is a pretty small feat compared to some of the other powerhouse nations throughout the years. One of the most impressive nations in my eyes throughout uh, the history of mankind is the Roman Empire. They are widely regarded as one of the most powerful nations in history. The Roman Empire was the alpha dog at hand during the entire composition of the New Testament. All of the events of the New Testament took place in, in territory that was controlled by the Roman Empire. And the center of the Roman Empire was the city of Rome. And so Rome served uh, similar to what Washington, D.C. serves for us um, Americans. That was Rome. Rome was, was the center of the Roman Empire. And Rome is going to be the focal point of our next series that we're starting this morning. As we're starting a new series on the book of 
Romans. We're, we're going to be doing a verse-by-verse approach uh, throughout the book of Romans. It's a rather long book to go verse-by-verse, and not only is it rather long, but, but it's pretty dense as well. Pretty much all of Paul's material is pretty dense, and, it, and it's hard to, to just gloss over. And so we're probably going to split this series in half. We're, we're going to go through the first half of the book, then we're going to take a break. Uh, I don't know how long that break will be, but, but we'll probably want to break uh, after going through the first half of the book. It will We'll cover uh, some other material, and then we'll finish the second half at a later date. And so today, as we introduce this series on the book of Romans, the foundation of our faith, we're mostly just going to set the scene by taking a look at three different things. We're going to be taking a look at the life of Paul. We're going to take a look at the city of Rome, and we're going to take a look at the church in Rome. It's almost going to be like a history lesson uh, this morning. Uh, good news for those of you guys who uh, enjoy history. For those of you guys who don't enjoy history, uh, hang in there. This is important information. This is going to set the scene for the rest of our series. Once we understand the setting, once we understand who Paul is, once we understand what the city of Rome is all about and what the church in Rome looked like, then we can much, much better understand the contents of the book of Romans. As the book of Romans is a letter from Paul to the saints or to the church at Rome. Rome. And so we, we, we better have a pretty good understanding of who Paul is. We, we, we got to have a good understanding of what the city of Rome was like during that time. And we got to have an understanding uh, of what the church of Rome was like during that time. So if we start with Paul, Paul was originally known as Saul. And if I'm guessing in, the, in these three different topics, I'm guessing most of us have more knowledge and information about Paul or Saul in contrast to uh, the city of Rome at that time or uh, the church in Rome. But Saul or Paul was originally known as Saul. And Saul, he was a Jewish rabbi belonging to the Pharisees. And Saul, he was extremely passionate about his ministry. He, he was extremely passionate and devout to the law of Moses and to the traditions of Israel. The, these Jews, they, they, they developed traditions after uh, thousands plus years, and, and Saul being a very devout Pharisee, the Pharisees were, were very strict about the law of Moses and very strict about the traditions that Israel had. And so Saul, he was a very, very good Pharisee. And so Saul viewed Jesus and his followers as a threat because Jesus and his followers were kind of radicalizing this Jewish faith and they weren't abiding by all of these traditions that Saul and the other Pharisees held to. And so Saul did not originally believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that he was the Christ, but rather he thought that Jesus of Nazareth was a false Messiah, stirring up trouble and leading people away from the law of Moses and the, tr the traditions of Israel. And so what did Saul do? Saul then went and he heavily, heavily persecuted the Christ followers, other no otherwise known as Christians. And so he hunted down Christians, actively hunted them down to throw them in prison and approved of vile acts towards Christians like the stoning of Stephen, the first recorded martyr of Christ. Saul was there and he approved of everything that took place as they were throwing stones, killing this guy, Stephen, simply because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah 
And he had a living and active faith that, that changed his whole life. That's what a living and active faith looks like. And so Saul, he was heavily persecuting the Christ followers, and he was on his way to Damascus one day to go hunt down these Christ followers. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the road to Damascus, he had a vision of the Lord Jesus himself. And Saul, he was temporarily blinded. He received his sight back from a follower of Jesus, Ananias. And from that moment on, from the moment that Saul received that vision, he went from being someone who heavily persecuted the church to being one of the most important leaders of the church in all of history. If you throw out, if, if you throw out Jesus here, uh, we should not throw out Jesus. If we put Jesus to the side of this discussion uh, real quick, uh, you, could, you could argue that Paul is the most important leader of the church outside of Jesus and his heavenly father, Yahweh. Paul played an extremely important role in all of this. But before this, he was heavily persecuting the church, the church of God. And so later, uh, Saul changed his name to Paul, his Roman name. And Paul, he eventually went on to write 13 books of the Bible more than any other person. He went on to play a pivotal role of the Christian faith being spread throughout the Mediterranean world, kind of the, the central hub of where uh, Christianity spread at first. It's believed that Paul uh, wrote this letter, the, the letter of Romans, to the saints at Rome while he was in the city of Corinth. There are different context clues, uh, as Paul mentions Phoebe, Gaius, and Erastus in his greeting at the end of the book. If we do some, uh, if we dive deeper into these three uh, different characters, we find out that Phoebe may be taking the letter to Rome with her when she travels there on business. Uh, for we we learn that she comes from Centria, uh, the eastern port, uh, the eastern port of Corinth. Gaius was baptized by Paul in Corinth, and an inscription has been found in Corinth for someone named Erastus. So with these uh, different context clues that we have access to today, we can uh, believe with pretty strong conviction that Paul was writing this letter to uh, the saints or to the church at Rome from the city of Corinth, which is uh, further out uh, east uh, in like modern day uh, Greece. Interestingly enough, though, when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Romans, he hadn't actually visited the city of Rome ever before in his life. We will see at his farewell address at the end of his letter, he, he does know a handful of people uh, through previous connections. And we also see that eventually he wants to take the gospel to Spain. Uh, we never really know if Paul ever made it to Spain or not. Those events aren't recorded in the scripture. Some believe that he did eventually find his way to, to Spain. Some uh, think that he didn't quite make his way over to Spain. But he eventually wanted to take the gospel message over to Spain. And the city of Rome served as a good launch point for the gospel to be spread out west. And so we can track down when Paul would have written this letter as well, knowing he was in the city of Corinth. This would have likely uh, been on Paul's third of three missionary journeys. Uh, I've seen uh, this letter dated uh, anywhere between 56 AD and 58 AD. Uh, so a pretty uh, small target uh, range there. So this is written less than 30 years after Christ had been crucified. This Christian faith, uh, a renewal or continuation or a branch of this Jewish faith, is brand new. And so that's a pretty decent background of who Paul was and where he was at this time uh, of writing this letter as he was in the city of Corinth about 56 to 58 uh, A.D. 
Now, what about Rome? What, what did Rome look like from 56 to 58 AD? Well, Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire, the most powerful nation of that time. The Roman Empire uh, reached its peak around 120 AD under the rule of Emperor Trajan. That, that's when their uh, borders uh, w- was at its uh, peak. Uh, it was around 120 AD. So it's approaching the, the, the peak of its power in 56 to 58 AD. And Rome had about a population of 1 million at the time, making it one of the largest Mediterranean cities of the ancient world. And during the first century, uh, both uh, during the uh, life and ministry of Jesus and after he was crucified, the Roman Empire was pretty tolerant of other religions as they were heavily influenced by Greek mythology and the practice of emperor worship. And so they were tolerant of all, of all these different other religions as long as they held the peace and as long as they worshiped the emperor. If they could get it, if, the, if, if a religion could abide by these two things, they could hold the peace and they would worship the emperor, the Roman Empire would have zero issues with these different religions. Uh, and so it, the city of Rome very much favored a polytheistic religion, which was a lot more common back in that day and age than what we're used to in our uh, society that we live in. And so Rome, it contained many different shrines, temples, and places of worship for different religions. And all of this was obviously an issue for both the Jews and the Christians, as they were strictly monotheistic. They, they strictly worshiped the one God. And so that was an issue because they could not partake of the worship of the emperor. That, that would raise uh, alarms right there for Christians and for Jews. And so because of this, Jews and Christians eventually began to receive persecution from the Roman Empire. In 49 uh, AD, the Roman Empire Claudius banished all Jews from the city of Rome. So this is less than 10 years before uh, Paul was, was writing this letter to the church at Rome. About five years later, Emperor Claudius, uh, he dies, and that decree was removed, and the Jews were able to re-enter the city of Rome. So, so when Paul is writing the, this letter uh, to the church at Rome, it, it, the, the Jewish Christians are just barely able to re-enter the picture in this city of Rome. And so the Christians, the Christians at the time of this writing, they did not receive greater persecution until Emperor Nero. Some of you guys uh, may be familiar with Emperor Nero, uh, whether in church history, uh, we've talked about him a a couple of times uh, from the pulpit or maybe uh, from your history classes, Uh, who knows. Uh, But Emperor Nero, he uh, is known for heavily persecuting the Christians. He was known, uh, this is a a vile fact about Nero, which makes me sick. He, He was known to capture Christians and light them on fire to provide light for his gardens at night, for his parties that he would throw in his gardens. And these Christians would just be lit on fire. These are crazy times that these people were living in. We're not the only people who are living in crazy times. They were living in crazy times 2,000 years ago as well as the emperor, the most powerful person of that time, was lighting Christians on fire for light at their parties. That's pretty disgusting, if you ask me. And then Emperor Nero then went on, and he famously blamed the great fire of Rome on the Christians. 
People have their suspicions, uh, but to this day, no one knows for sure uh, who started that fire that decimated a large chunk of Rome. Many people suspect Nero had something to do with it. Nero's blaming it on the Christians. Uh, we, d- we don't really have the full story. But at the time of this writing, what we're concerned with uh, throughout our series of Romans, Nero just became emperor of Rome at the age of 16 when Claudius died. So Nero, he's only been in charge of the Roman Empire for a couple of years, and the political situation had not yet deteriorated for uh, the Christians in the Roman Empire as Nero didn't begin his persecutions of the Christians until after the great fire in 64 AD. So the Jews were persecuted under the previous emperor, Emperor Claudius, but the Christians, they didn't receive really any persecution, any major persecution from the Roman Empire at the time of this writing. And so that's a pretty good background of the city of Rome during the time in which Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome. Now, what did that church look like? Well, it's Catholic tradition that Peter was the first bishop of Rome and that he founded the church in Rome. This claim is pretty easily refutable. We don't really know who started uh, the church in Rome. Uh, it wasn't Paul. We, we're, we're, not, we're not really sure who it was. But Paul wrote to a church that was experiencing a time of relative peace as Nero had not yet begun uh, to persecute them. So all the church, although the church did not receive uh, persecution from the outside, there's a lot of evidence that the church experienced internal conflict. For if we put ourselves into the setting here of the the church in Rome, this church was made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish or Gentile Christians. And for five years, that's a long time, for five years, I've been here, uh, this is my fifth year uh, here. And so at the end of this year, that'd be five years. For five years, the Jewish Christians were required to leave under the rule of Claudius. And so for five years, The Roman church existed without the influence of the Jewish Christians. You can just imagine the tension that would be at hand after the Jewish Christians return. For the Jewish and the Gentile Christians, they all believe in the same Messiah. They all believe in the same God, Yahweh, but they have very, very different backgrounds. And these very different backgrounds severely alter their way of living. So here we have two separate groups of people with severely different backgrounds, severely different ways of living, coming together to to form a church, and they had their issues. They they, they had their quarrels amongst themselves. It's believed uh, that the church in Rome uh, is made up of house churches. I love that idea personally, Uh, a group of believers meeting in each other's homes to worship, fellowship, and do the, the Lord's work. Uh, Francis Chan actually did this, uh, a well-known pastor uh, today, uh, took on this idea of having home churches. He was a pastor of a mega church out west, um, but he realized that was not for him, and he gave that up, and he now uh, facilitates a large number of home churches, and and that idea fascinates and intrigues me. Um, And so Paul here, he's writing to the church in Rome, but really it's not so much like a church in what we would commonly view like, like we're gathered here together. More so, uh, from the studies I found, more so that there are different house gatherings, different house churches, and they come together collectively in one church, the, the, the universal church of God. And so Paul here, he is writing a unifying message 
about the same gospel to these different, these different house churches where, where they consist of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. The letter to the Romans stands as the clearest and most systematic presentation of Christian teaching throughout all of the scriptures. That's why uh, many love the book of Romans, because you want a sum of theology, you turn to the book of Romans, because that was Paul's objective. He's writing to, uh, to a group of people he's never really met before. He's met a handful of people. He has connections with some people there. But, it, but he's writing to a city that he's never been to, uh, a city that, that contains many different house churches. And, and these house churches consist of these Jewish and Gentile Christians who don't necessarily get along the best with one another. And here, Paul is presenting to them the gospel message, the unifying gospel message that they can all rally around together of their faith in God, of their faith in Jesus, the Christ, and of their faith in the coming kingdom. The simple gospel message. That was Paul's objective in writing this letter. And so it serves as a wonderful letter for us as well to rally around our faith. As Romans outlines the foundation of our faith, whether we are Jewish or Gentile or rich or poor or slave or free or black or white, we can all unite around this simple gospel message. For the book of Romans serves as a wonderful foundation of our faith. And I really, really look forward to digging deep into the foundation of our faith throughout the book of Romans. And we're going to start that just very uh, briefly this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. As I was typing out uh, my notes for this message, uh, going through the background of Paul, Rome, and the church of Rome uh, took longer than I anticipated. It, it took up a, a larger chunk of my notes than I was expecting or hoping for, but I didn't want to gloss over any of that information that we covered because having a fuller understanding of the setting will help us throughout not just the rest uh, of the scripture that we'll talk about today, but throughout the rest of this series and having a, a better idea of who Paul is, what the city of Rome is like, and what the church in Rome is all about. So we had a lot of, of history uh, to cover, and so that took uh, the bulk of our time this morning. But I do also want to cover, uh, we're just going to breeze through uh, the first 15 verses of the book of Romans. Much of the information that we're going to read here in the first 15 verses ties in to the background that we already covered. We're, we're going we're gonna to read how Paul is the one who's writing this letter. We're going to see how it's to the church in Romans. We're going to see how Paul wanted to visit Rome and such. So it's a large chunk of scripture for a short bit of time, but again, a lot of the information we've already covered in our background. So through, throughout the rest of our series, we're, we're going to go at a lot slower pace when, when reading through the scripture here in Romans. But today is pretty much uh, capturing what we talked about in the background. And so in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, reads, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, 
and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see in the first seven verses here in the opening of this letter, where we're identified uh, the person who is responsible for this letter, and that's Paul. And who is Paul? Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. That's who Paul is. Paul is someone who he is a servant of Christ Jesus, and he's been set apart for the gospel of God. His responsibility, his duty is to spread this gospel nation to the surrounding areas. And he did this on foot himself. He went to the different cities and he was just responsible for preaching to the people present. And he was also responsible for, for advancing this gospel of the message by writing these different letters, like the letter uh, to the church at Rome. In verse 7, if you jump down there, we see uh, who is receiving this letter. is to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And so Paul, he, he's this apostle of this gospel message, the good news of God, the good news of the kingdom and the king. And this gospel message Paul talks about, this was founded in the Old Testament. That was our focus on this Christmas series that we just got done with and looking at how Jesus fulfilled all of these different prophecies in the Old Testament to prove that he is the Messiah. And so this good news of God, this good news of the kingdom and of the king, it was established beforehand in, in, in the Old Testament. And now Paul, in, in the era of the New Testament, is responsible for spreading this gospel message. And so here he's taking that responsibility and fulfilling that responsibility by writing this letter to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And so, that, and so Paul continues in the opening of this letter. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that, that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so Paul here in the opening of this letter, he says, guys, I've not made it out to you yet. However, I have heard of your great faith. And because of this great faith that I heard from you, I thank God for all of you. I thank God for all of you through Jesus Christ. And so even though Paul said he hadn't made it out uh, to Rome yet, he, he tells them, it has been my strong desire that I make it out there. 
uh, he, he believes that a trip to Rome would be mutually beneficial as they would encourage one another with their faith. As he heard about their faith and he believes that, that his faith can, can profit the people in the city of Rome as well. And so he wants to encourage them and he wants to preach the gospel message to them. For that is what he is all about. That's what he, he identified himself in verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's what his whole life revolved around, spreading this gospel message. And so he said he was eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Spoiler alert, Paul does eventually make his way out to Rome after the completion of this letter. Unfortunately, he makes out to Rome uh, out there in chains as a prisoner. He, he's put under trial because of his faith in Christ. But Paul spent a couple years out in Rome, and, and while he was put under house arrest, he was able to welcome in a number of people preaching the gospel message to them face to face. But instead of doing that just now, instead of going to Rome and preaching this gospel message to them, Paul has a different idea here, I'm sure led by uh, God himself. Instead of going out right then and there to preach the gospel message, he writes a letter to them that contains a very systematic presentation of the gospel message. In this letter that, that he writes to the church at Rome, this serves as a foundation for their faith as he's covering the very simple gospel message of, of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of the kingdom, and of the God who has power and authority over all beings in heaven and on earth. As so a Paul, he, he's going to go and, he, and he's going to preach the, this gospel message to those in Rome through his writing of this letter. And so that's as far as we're going to get today. And so as we go through this letter together as a church, we will see the gospel message that Paul presents to the church in Rome. This gospel message would serve to help them, the church in Rome, to rally around this saving message. For the city of Rome, it is a hub of all sorts of people. It's a hub of slaves, of free, of rich, of poor, of people of all different religions. Even within the church, it is a hub of different kinds of people. Within the church, you're going to have the slaves, you're going to have the free, you're going to have the Jews, you're going to have the Gentile. And so there would be lots of division amongst the people. But this message that Paul presents to the church at Rome, it serves as a rally cry. It serves as a message that they can all rally around a unifying message about God, about his son, Christ Jesus, and about the plans that God has for us in his coming kingdom. And so as we read the, this marvelous letter, nearly 2,000 years after it has been written, I pray that we too, we can rally in unity around this presentation of our faith, of our gospel-saving message that Paul presents in this letter. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day that you have made. Father, I thank you for the plans that you have for us, plans in due time where we will have prosperity, we'll have eternal life in your coming kingdom, 
where all of our pain, our fears, our struggles, sicknesses, all be taken away from us. And so then, Father, I pray that you watch over us as a church. I pray that you help us rally around this gospel message that Paul presents here in this letter. Father, I just pray that we make the important things important here at North Hills. So, Father, we love you. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. It's in Christ's name that we pray.